Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Everyone, welcome to the latest Flyers Talk podcast brought to you by the Philadelphia Tri-State Cadillac Dealers. Flyers are officially in the offseason and plenty though is still happening. Uh, on Thursday, Chuck Fletcher, general manager of the Flyers, addressed the media in his end of the season press conference talking various topics. And then the Flyers have been up for some awards. Elaine Vigneault falling short in his uh, quest for the Jack Adams Award. He finished as the runner-up for Coach of the Year. But Sean Couturier finally gets his Selkie Trophy uh, for the first time ever in his career. He was named the Selkie Trophy winner on Thursday night. We'll have plenty to talk about, and I am absolutely thrilled to be joined by Brooke Destra. Brooke, thanks so much for joining us. And I know you are one happy camper right now with Sean Couturier's Selkie victory. Oh, you know it, Jordan Hall. Uh, right off the bat, I mean, I have wanted this for Couturier since the beginning of the season. I really felt like this was finally going to be his year. But I'm going to be honest, this could have been a season where he should have taken away his second or even his third Selkie trophy because that's just how good and consistent he has been the past few seasons. But Better late than never. It's great for Couturier, and you just have to love what he said after accepting the award that he wouldn't have been able to win it without his teammates. And, I mean, come on, that just really goes to show you the kind of player that he is, right? He's a team player and just so thrilled for him. He really is one of the more um, humble players on this roster, and it kind of it's kind of funny because it really coincides with his type of game. His game is in – complete, all-effort, every-single-shift type of game. So he's got a very blue-collar-like game, and his personality is very blue-collar. Uh, he does not like to take credit. Even during the season, Brooke, we would consistently ask him uh, when Elaine Vigneault was strategically matching up players that were maybe like struggling offensively, constantly putting them on Sean Couturier's line to spark them. And it happened numerous times. And I remember when Jacob Borchek got rolling once he got placed on Sean Couturier's line, we kind of asked Sean Couturier about it, and he just kind of, like, smiled, like this just kind of um, little smile, and he's like, I, I'm, I don't really know what to say to that. Like, you know, we're just playing hard. He just – he would not take credit. That's just not who he is. So it was right. really cool to see him earn this really prestigious honor, the Selkie Trophy, uh, which is given to the forward that best excels in the defensive aspects of the game. For Couturier to get that type of honor and then obviously just push the credit off on his teammates and people that have helped him, I think it shows you exactly who Sean Couturier is, Brooke. And I just thought it was crazy just to see the voting 
Uh, That's what I was going to say. He won by a landslide. He took the selfie trophy and walked away. Bergeron wouldn't even be able to catch up with him. Exactly. I really really truly thought Sean Couturier deserved the selfie trophy this year. To be quite honest, I voted for him number one. I really thought he deserved it. But I was deep down very concerned about his chances because, Brooke, you had Patrice Bergeron, who has won the award four times. They think about renaming it after him. (laughs) That's not something to be taken lightly. (laughs) No. And he he was a finalist for a record ninth straight year. He was on the best team in hockey in the regular season. And the Bruins, that best team in hockey, allowed the league's fewest goals per game. It just felt like Bergeron was going to get it again because so many people across the league know Bergeron. They know the Bruins and what they did. But, Brooke, the voting (laughs) really showed you how much – recognition he has got for Sean Couturier. Sean Couturier had 117 first place votes. Votes. Patrice Bergeron was second with 21 first place votes. That's with it, like you said, how, how impressive is that? Man, and I just, I'm so happy that he finally got this recognition. And I don't think I'm going to be able to stress that enough as we head into the off season because, and I'll say this, Patrice Bergeron is, fantastic he is a phenomenal player for our age in hockey he's great to watch and you hate playing against him for those reasons he is a great asset to a great Bruins team Sean Couturier is the hands down the best flyer that you can ask for and whether he is playing or he is not he is impactful and you can tell when he's on his game you can tell if he's injured if he's missing games it's just he is a difference maker and he's because of his 200 foot game and I'm just I'm so happy that people are now realizing that Couturier is such a valuable asset not saying that Bergeron and you know Ryan O'Reilly are not but it's just it's completely different night and day like the Flyers would not have been the team that they were without Sean Couturier so it's so true and so happy yeah very happy for like we said a humble guy who just gets after it works hard really kind of embodies philly in that way and then also a guy that came into the league at 19 and was kind of always known as a defensive player but always kind of got pressure put on his shoulders for not really putting up first round pick numbers in terms of offense uh he didn't uh eclipse broke he didn't eclipse 40 points in a season until his seventh year in the league and he really started getting people talking about, like, is this guy going to ever kind of turn into an offensive player? He certainly has over the last three seasons. He's been one of the best centers in the NHL. Uh, 200 foot, offensively, defensively, everything. Uh, good for Sean Gatourier. Rook, let's, let's talk about Elaine Vigneault a little bit, though. Yes, let's what? talk about it because I am mad. <laughs> we, we joked, Brooke, that we thought he was – we thought he was maybe more likely to win the Jack Adams than Couturier was the Selkie, just given the circumstances, who he was up against. Vigneault finishes as the runner-up to Bruce Cassidy, the Bruins head coach. Um, what did you think of that? Did you think Vigneault really deserved it? I was honestly very taken back because I figured if Vigneault didn't win, um, Columbus Blue Jackets, John Tortorella would have. And I figured either one of them would have taken it by a landslide over... Cassidy. And 
it's very confusing. And I want to say that people might have taken the easy way out when it came to voting for this because he did take his team to the playoffs, number one in the NHL, President's Trophy winner, top team, obviously highly competitive. Great. Cool. He brought, and I, I tweeted about this the other day too, I was so mad because he took, he is a good coach that took a great team to the playoffs. And I think that, and I'm not discrediting him either. He's obviously a great coach. He knows exactly what he's doing. He has years of experience. But Elaine Vigneault took the dumpster fire that was the 2018-19 Flyers team and turned them into a threat within one season. And the fact that he didn't get recognized for that blows my freaking mind. I was surprised. I will, I'm, I'm wholeheartedly with you on that. Um, just to see, like you said, the Bruins went to the Stanley Cup final last year. Um, they're already a pretty good team. And you should get credit for duplicating that success, being the President's Trophy winning team. Um, but when you, you just look at the job that Vigneault did with the Flyers, they were just a nightmare last year. Uh, midseason, they fire their head coach. They fire the GM. They fire an assistant coach. They fire the assistant GM. Uh, Vigneault Goaltending carousel. Like, it was just yeah, one thing after another. Year. Yep. And Vigneault comes in, and in 13 fewer games, they put up seven more points than they did in a full season last year. Um, I just really thought he deserved it. I did, and – He's now been a finalist five times. He's won it once, though. Uh, it's not easy to win that award. Uh, Vigneault, deep down, I, I, you know, I think it means something to him, but ultimately it's going to be about winning that Stanley Cup for him. He hasn't oh, won it yet. And the Flyers, uh, Flyers fans have been yearning for that Cup since 75. So I think um, at the end of the day, I'm sure it stings a little bit, but uh, would you agree, though, the Flyers probably are looking more towards uh, – Hoisting that other trophy. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think that these are awards that they're going to take more than, oh, like, here's a participation ribbon. You played another season. It's definitely more than that because they're being recognized. You know, Couturier finally winning the Selkie Trophy. That's league-wide recognition. While we wanted Vigneault to win, he was still a top three finalist. It still put the Flyers on the radar. But ultimately, everyone is still just aching for the Stanley Cup and really it was just Matt Niskanen this season that had a Stanley Cup on the Flyers so it's it's really trying to sit back and realize okay it's good take what we had from this first season of success and we're finally moving past the phase of mediocrity and I just really feel like we're the team is set up for a really strong few years so take the Selkie, take the Jack Adams finalist, and freaking run with it. Yeah. Use it to fuel the fire because I know no one's happy about that game seven loss on that team against the Islanders. There's no way. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you get shut out in a game seven, people are going to come back ready to roll whenever the season does start next year. I mean, how are you feeling on it, right? It's, no. it's crazy. No. Yeah, I think that 4 nothing loss is going to leave a bitter taste in some guys' mouths for the entire offseason. It wasn't like, um, you know, it wasn't a close game. It wasn't uh, by far, it wasn't even close to their best effort. Um, so I think that's going to linger for some guys, knowing that it was a game seven and they were a game away from the Eastern Conference final, but they lost in that in that fashion, 4 nothing shutout, not even close. 
So, yeah, I think the Flyers have plenty of reason for motivation, and I think the fan base has a lot to like going forward. And speaking of the future, Brooke, Chuck Fletcher, general manager of the Flyers, addressed the media on Thursday, talking various topics from this season to the future to the offseason, uh, key questions ahead. What was your biggest takeaway from his address today? Um, initially, it was a lot. It was about 36 minutes of. I know it was. It was a lot. Fletcher really likes to talk, but it's great because we yeah. have a whole lot of information. Um, I'm not gonna lie. I was pretty thrown off guard when he had mentioned that the bottom six in forwards really had a lack of production because I had felt like throughout the series against the Canadians, the, the series against the Islanders, you really had those bottom guys just stepping up and taking control because, I mean, what was the combined for the top six, like the, the core players that like barely got on the board because the, I, don't, I don't know. It just, it, it really threw me off guard considering I felt like Tyler Pitlick was one of my favorite players to watch. Um, and him not really giving that kind of credit to the bottom six guys. So it's interesting, and it's it's curious. Like you're curious to see if he's going to negotiate contracts with some of those guys because they're up, uh, unrestricted free agents. Tyler Pitlick, Derek Grant, Nate Thompson. What are you doing now? You know. So it'll be curious to see how they handle those little things moving forward because for the most part, I thought they were okay. No. And I think that's a, a, a super fair point. And I wonder if Chuck Fletcher there, when he was kind of mentioning how what they really needed to fix maybe in the offseason was obviously he mentioned the bottom six not really producing in the playoffs and that maybe depth on defense could be could be something that they keep uh, their mind on. I wonder if that was a way to kind of get him to, to pinpoint that, hey, it wasn't all on the top guys. Um, we don't need wholesale changes. We don't need to shake things up. Our core is still very good. I wonder if that was his way to say, hey, listen, it was not on all of these guys in the top six. It was a well-rounded effort that we fell short on um, from top to bottom. We were not good enough. We had defensive issues. We did not play the same way stylistically that we did in the regular season before the pause. So I really truly wonder if that was his way to kind of say, hey, listen, it's not on all of these guys. Our bottom six can do more. Um, and he, yeah, he pinpointed that. The bottom six, when got when the role players were dressed in the actual bottom six, they had he said two goals in their first and second rounds, which was thirteen games. Right. Because he mentioned that Raffle kind of scored his goals when he was dressed higher in the lineup. Um, JVR when he scored a pair of his, he was higher in the lineup. But I really deep down think that was more of him saying, "Hey, you know, this is not just on our top guys. We believe in our top guys," and he ended up defending them. And said, uh, I think he just wants to say, like, we like our group and we don't think we need to do anything super loud or drastic in the offseason. As long as we just continue to add to it and improve, uh, we're going to like our chances. So I wonder yeah. if that was deep down what he was thinking, Brooke. Yeah, that's actually a pretty good way to look at it because basically the main gist that we did get from Fletcher today is that he really likes the group moving forward. He thinks they have a sound team for the next few seasons and that's because of the core and that's because of a lot of the young players coming up for the roster coming up into the roster so it'll be really interesting to see like you said I don't think they're going to make a huge splash in free agency 
one, I don't think they need to do that. Two, they certainly don't have the cap space at the moment to do that. So it's going to be interesting to even see how they renegotiate that because there's even some restricted free agents that need to get signed this offseason as well. So lots to do. I think it's a lot of in-house negotiations instead of major blockbuster trades. That's not going to happen this year. Agreed. And hockey people and people in front office roles and, and you know, on the coaching staff, personnel, um, they really think with perspective. They think big picture. They evaluate everything. They do not make rash decisions on one series, two series. Um, Chuck, Chuck Fletcher mentioned his top guys. He, you know, he admitted, yeah, they did not perform the way we needed them to uh, in the postseason, but they said they were also not going to overanalyze a 13-game sample size um, or right. just strictly goal production because at the end of the day, James Van Riemsdyk, Kevin Hayes, Sean Couturier, Claude Drew, and Travis Konechny, their top five goal producers, had nine combined goals in the tournament. That's, you know, the Flyers played 16 games in the tournament. They combined for nine. It's not going to cut it. But I think the Flyers see the big picture. They analyze everything, and they, they thought they really took some strides, and they did. And uh, they're not going to, you know, blow it up or anything just because they fell one game short of the Eastern Conference final. I, th- I think that's the right mindset to have. Brooke, I found it interesting that Chuck Fletcher even, to show you that they really analyze everything, not only did he mention the 10 games they played against the Islanders, seven in the playoffs, three in the regular season, he noted the two that they played in the preseason and how they lost both of those games in the preseason. They lost nine of 12 to the Islanders. In all 12 of those games, New York scored three or more goals. It tells you they look at everything, they're going to analyze everything, and they're going to see where they can get better. But I think they had the right people in place, and it's just a matter of maybe some small changes and, and taking that next step. Definitely. Yeah, I think that it's, it's really interesting to see everyone's reactions once the season ended. And I'm talking from fans' perspective. When you're watching them on social media, kind of like, like experiencing this firsthand, I feel like in previous seasons it's been a lot of dumpster fire, blow up the team, mess up the core, strip the C from Giroux, like all of the, I'm going to say them, the Flyers fan cliches that you see around the clock. And this has really been the first season. I mean, granted, it's still very early. There's still lots of talks. I just saw on Twitter um, right after Couturier won the selfie that people thought we were trading him. So that's just kind of, I don't know, that's, that's NHL Twitter in a nutshell. But this has been the first season where I felt like there was optimism once it ended. Like, people are looking forward to the next season. They were thrilled with the way that things ended. I mean, not game seven, but advancing to that second round for the first time in eight years. It's, it's those little things that give everyone really a sense of hope. So I think in that regard, too, I, that's obviously no one is general manager on Twitter. Chuck Fletcher's not looking at how fans want. You know, it's not, it's not one of those situations. But it's overall, I feel like moving forward, they're in a very good place. And the fact that Flyers fans are kind of hopping on board and being like, all right, I'm ready for next season and, instead of, oh, crap, here we go again. We're, that's... 
I don't know. That's a, that's a good thing. I'm, I'm looking forward to that at least. Optimism. You know I love being optimistic. So, Absolutely. yay. But would you, would you say that too? Like, have you sensed that from Flyers fans as well? If we're, if we're kind of shifting from Fletcher to fans evaluating the season, is that something that you've noticed too? Definitely. I think there's a portion of fans that are pretty frustrated and they're not looking at this season as a victory or a success. Um, I think it's a smaller portion because I think those fans are still reminded of the cup drought, uh, kind of what's happened over the last decade since they last went to the cup final. Um, and they're eager, they're eager to go deeper than just win a series. But then I think there's a larger portion to me that is more positive about the steps made this season. They realize what a nightmare 2018-19 was and how positive this was in year one under only one full year under Elaine Vigneault, Chuck Fletcher, new leadership group, some new pieces. Uh, it was just one season and, and they really, really, really completely turned it around. So I feel like there's a larger portion of fans that feel good about things and maybe a smaller portion that's still uh, thinking trade everyone and this core is old. Well, um, you can't please everybody. You can't. <laughs> and, and time is ticking a little bit on the Flyers core. There's no doubt about that. But um, I certainly don't think Claude Giroux is by far done. I don't think Jacob Voracek is done. I think they're still right there in the solid primes of their career. They got help this season and they just need a little bit more. Um, and the Flyers have a lot of youth to like. They have a lot of prospects. Um, they've drafted and they've developed. And this year, I think you saw big steps because of that. And now they just need to take the next one. Flyers Talk is presented by Wells Fargo. When our communities need us, Wells Fargo is here to help. I wanted to ask you about Chuck Fletcher had some of that interesting stuff on the Islanders and how he really noticed. And he asked, he said, um, why did we not play well against New York in 12 games, two in the preseason? three in the regular season and seven in the postseason. He goes, I'm not sure. He's like, but we're going to dig into it. We're going to try to figure it out. It is interesting why New York had such an upper hand on them because it wasn't like the Islanders were, you know, a top five team in the league uh, that was just flat out better. Um, I wonder, and I deep down, I just think, I just don't think it was a good matchup. I don't think it was a good matchup for them. I think sometimes you see that in sports where you just get a bad matchup. I think he saw it last year when the Lightning had it a historic regular season. Mm -hmm. They ran into the Blue Jackets, and they just kind of got beat up. They got beat <laughs> up by a team that just got after them in terms of physical physicality, four check, and just kind of took them out of the way they want to play. Think that happens sometimes? What do you think about the Islanders? Do you think that was just a bad matchup that was kind of in the way of the Flyers doing something much more special? Or do you think the Flyers are kind of where they were no matter what of that matchup? I'm not going to lie. I remember when we were doing – some first round analysis and potential matchups and I had to take a look further in depth with the Islanders and I remember thinking I do not want them to face the Islanders in the first round I was all, I also had that same mentality with the Hurricanes because they were hot at that time but it's it's one of those situations where it's like they're not necessarily the best team in the league the islanders but they're the team that is going to go 120 percent for as long as they can mm -hmm. and clearly that's exactly what they did they took the 
um, na- the Nationals. Now I have baseball on the brain, too. Yes. They took the Capitals in five games. I mean, luckily the Flyers were able to get to seven games, but honestly, that was good for them because the only three games that they did win, wasn't they were in overtime. So the series could have ended much earlier than it did. I it's it's very they're very aggressive from puck drop to the final buzzer and you know it's again it's another cliche but you never know what you're going to get in the playoffs ever and that was that was a good Isles team yeah. and they shouldn't be underestimated. I mean, they're not looking too hot right now against Tampa Bay, but I don't know. You never know. It's hot. It's, it's playoff hockey. So yeah. And I think just because the Islanders are currently down to nothing in their series against the Lightning is not a knock on the Flyers at all or the Islanders. Uh, the Lightning had the second most points ever in a regular season last year. And they're one of the more offensively dynamic teams probably in recent history. And uh, so I don't think the Islanders, especially in game two against the Lightning, uh, some people think they outplayed Tampa Bay and just didn't get the results. So I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. It could easily be 1-1. I don't think it's a knock on the Islanders. I don't think it's a knock on the Flyers. Um, I do think it was just a really difficult matchup. And, hey, the Flyers got to seven games. That's, I, you know, they, they weren't blown away. They didn't get swept. Uh, they got it to seven. It shows you they were pretty close against a good team. Uh, before this Lightning series, the Islanders had outscored the Capitals, Panthers, and Flyers 54-31. to 31. Like, that's a, that's a plus that's, 23 goal differential against yeah. three really good offensive teams. So I think New York's a good team. I don't think the Flyers are going to hang their heads or all of a sudden go into, um, you know, a, uh, a crisis mode of, like, what do we do now because we lost to the Islanders. I, I, I don't think they should, and I, I don't think they will. But, uh, but Brooke, uh, my second to last question I wanted to ask you, now that we're looking a little more into free agency, mm-hmm. I don't think we can really pinpoint guys on the market yet because the season's not even over yet. We don't know what teams are doing. Right. Um, but the Flyers do have some unrestricted free agents. And I will read them off. I'm just going to ask you, which guy would you like to, if you wanted to re-sign one of them, mm-hmm. which guy would you like to re-sign the most? So the Flyers have Brian Elliott, who is going to be an unrestricted free agent. Justin Braun also will be a UFA. Tyler Pitlick, UFA. Derek Grant, UFA. And Nate Thompson, UFA. Among that group, if you had to pick one guy to re-sign for the Flyers, who would it be? Ah. Hmm. That's hard because, you know, I am, I am all for re-signing Tyler Pitlick. Sure. But how, where else are you going to find a great backup goaltender mm-hmm. that does everything you ask for aside from Brian Elliott? Because I was so impressed with him this entire season, minus, like, aside from maybe two or three games overall. He really delivered whenever Vigneault gave him the nod. And it was kind of a, I, I don't know, there were, people were very interested with the contract when it was initially signed last offseason because they're like, oh, he's injury prone, which is a lie. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Right, and they think that his performance just never was really up to par. It's because Elliot was never being utilized the way that he needed to be. He is the perfect example of 
a backup goalie because he picked up Hart when he was struggling on the road. If there were back-to-backs, Elliot was in the, fresh in the net and the team was able to play in front of him because they knew that Elliot was going to be able to, you know, really keep them in the game at some times. And dang, that's really hard. I don't know if I would want them to re-sign Elliot or Pitlick. Would, you if you stumped me, Jordan Hall. I know. It was a tough question. If, if, you to, if you were already signing Brian Elliott, Brooke, would, would it be like a one-year deal? Are you thinking like another one-year deal, kind of what he had this year? Yeah, I don't think that it would be anything more than that. But at the same time, I don't think Pitlick would be more than a one, two-year deal as well because there are a lot of younger players moving up. But at the same time, Pitlick is everything you want in a bottom six forward because he is so aggressive whenever he's out on the ice so mm, you have stumped me jordan hall well good no but but i think (laughs) i do think that the experiment with justin braun that's done i do think that Derek grant and nate thompson can go put faith in the up-and-coming players in those situations because that's why we have the Flyers have drafted so well over the past few seasons. Thank you, Ron Hextall. But this this is their time, and it's gonna kind of help them out with cap as well. So, what yeah. about you? I have to give you the same question because you hurt my brain, so I'm gonna hurt <laughs> yours back. I, I deserve that. I really do. Because um, <laughs> I, I one, I put you on the spot first. Now I can kind of work off your your thoughts. Okay. Oh, okay, I see. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it is a tricky spot for the Flyers because you're right, Brooke. Obviously, uh, the cap is going to remain flat this year. Uh, the Flyers have young players kind of coming up. And, um, you know, these are some older players that are going to demand not a lot of money, but they're going to demand decent contracts and look kind of for, obviously, you know, their next, you know, their next big, you know, deal. And you wonder what the Flyers are going to be willing to commit in – this type of cap world in the current state of the NHL, obviously with the pandemic. Um, Brian Ellis is an interesting one because I wonder if he's going to try to come off of this year. That was a real promising year for him. He's in the latter stages of his career, 35 years old. I wonder if he's going to try to squeeze out maybe a two-year deal from a team. And I think he wouldn't be totally surprised if he got that. And that security, I think, year-wise, I think would be really appealing to him. Uh, I don't know if the Flyers are going to do that. But I think they might be open to two years, but we'll see. Uh, For me, going into the playoffs, I was leaning toward Derek Grant. Mm -hmm. I just really liked what he did in that short stint in the regular season. He had a career year goal-wise. He's big. He wins face-offs. I just liked what he did, but he he left me a little disappointed in in his postseason performance. And Tyler Pitlick's a guy that I think is going to be cheaper and he was just there from start to finish, really, for the, for the most part. Didn't took him some time to get his feet wet in his first year with the Flyers, but once he did, he was constantly active, constantly north-south, constantly noticeable, and he was only a $1 million cap hit this year, and I think he's going to be in the same range uh, for his new deal. I don't think he's going to take a huge um, cap hit, Maybe you get him for like two years. He's only 28, whereas Derek Grant is coming off a career year. He's 30. I think he might demand a little bit more, um, and he might get a little bit more. Um, and then he was 
kind of disappointing in the playoffs. So I feel like I feel like if I'm going to sign one guy, I think I think I would go Tyler Pitt. Like I just think he was a really good role guy that you know what you're going to get. He's not super old yet. He's not going to demand a ton of years or money. Um, I say why not? I'll, I'll say Tyler Pitt, like Brooke, but we both of you, I think both of us, I think we're kind of stumped on that one because uh, some tough decisions. Justin right. Rowland, they might reconsider signing. I really do think they might. I'm not sure, but uh, at his age, but um, I think they thought he did some positive things and he kind of gives them some more depth. And, uh, you know, another veteran guy alongside Niskanen, bottom, you know, bottom pair guy, but we shall see. Visit your Philadelphia area Cadillac dealer today and experience the ultimate in iconic luxury. You know, one of the bigger things talked about, and of course we knew uh, Chuck Fletcher would be asked about it, Nolan Patrick. I think it's yes. one of the biggest mysteries among Flyers fans. I constantly get people tweeting at me, and I'm sure you do too. What's up with Nolan Patrick? Uh, do we know what's next for him? How's he doing? Uh, questions all the time about Nolan Patrick. Sure. For those that don't know the big picture, did not play this season because of a migraine disorder. He's only 21 years old. He turns 22 this month. Uh, second overall pick in 2017, a center, uh, and unfortunately dealt with the migraine disorder this year. Did not play. Chuck Fletcher was asked about him today. Nolan Patrick, he said, is doing well. He uh, is living a mostly normal life, um, sleeping better. So a lot of positive things there for Nolan Patrick. The fact that he's better just daily living-wise, that he's better health-wise, that's great. Sure. As for hockey-wise, uh, we'll have to see. But Chuck Fletcher says he counts on Patrick playing in 2020-21. They don't know when. We don't even know when the season's going to start. So it's hard for them to really find that. But – Patrick is doing better, and they hope that he's going to play next season. That's a huge thing. What did you make of Fletcher's comments on Patrick? Do you feel like he's going to be in the fold? And how important could it be if he is in the fold? How important could that be for the Flyers? Sure. So, I mean, first of all, you know this. I get migraines all of the time, mm -hmm. and they are – I wouldn't wish them on my worst enemy because you can't see straight. Yeah. So I say this all of the time. I am happy that Nolan Patrick took this season to figure it all out because one bad hit could have completely altered his career because of everything. I mean, they're not necessarily like, un like sure if the migraines are affiliated with the concussions that he's had in the past. That's, you know, not our place to, we're not doctors. We just, we just take what we have. We're media. We do what we got to do. But I'm happy that he had this season to figure things out. And hearing such positive things about him from Fletcher today only made you feel more optimistic about his return. Um, and we, we talked about this at the beginning of the season when we didn't really know his timetable, where we were so thankful for the Kevin Hayes signing because it solidified depth down the center of the roster if they were able to get nolan patrick back oh my gosh it it becomes yeah. if you have the talent that he has in the bottom six because you would have to assume that Victoria is number one hayes is two and then patrick is is your 3c i mean really like you can't ask for anything more and he's so far from reaching the potential that everyone expects him to be 
as a second overall draft pick. He's had a few years in the league now. I, I really hope, I always want players to succeed, obviously. Patrick in particular, though, because of everything that he's had to deal with. And I have to have the assumption that whenever he does return, he's not only on a mission for the team, but for himself to kind of really get things going and amp things up from the last time he played, which many might have said wasn't really an ideal season from him. What did you get out of Fletcher? It's a great perspective on the migraines, Brooke, seriously, because not everyone deals with migraines. I don't. I can't say I ever have. And They are the worst. Yes. I can't believe that they exist. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, Brooke, you were, you were one of – multiple people to come up to me and kind of ask me about Nolan Patrick and then give me a glimpse into what it's like. Um, I can only imagine. And I am also glad that Nolan Patrick and the Flyers did not rush. Uh, they didn't feel pressured. Um, Nolan Patrick is only 21. He turns 22 this month. He's a kid. His whole life is ahead of him. Figure this out. And it takes, sometimes it takes multiple, you know, treatment plans to finally figure out which one works. And then not only do you have to figure out which one works, then you got to tie it into playing a real physical sport like hockey and right. make sure these things don't come back. Uh, there's so much that goes into it. Diet, everything. It's not just headaches, as Nolan Patrick has told us. Not just, it's not just headaches. It's not. So, regardless, happy that Nolan Patrick is feeling better. And I think the Flyers have no reason but to be optimistic. Uh, he is a young player. He is a restricted free agent in the offseason. They have team control. And – uh, why would you abandon, you know, the future of a young kid um, when you have team control? Uh, you know you're going to have him next season. Obviously, he is due a new contract, and they will figure that out. They, you know, that's not really on their minds right now, but, you know, they, they will get a new deal done. It'll be interesting to see what Nolan Patrick gets um, and what the Flyers want to commit to, given there is a lot of uncertainty around this, uh, this issue for Nolan Patrick. But uh, – Gosh, it could be such a boost, though, if he can come back and hopefully feel like himself, play the game he loves, and really help the Flyers because the overall vision, I think, when they went after Kevin Hayes was you would have three really tough, big uh, 200-foot centers down the middle. Sean Couturier, Kevin Hayes, and then Nolan Patrick. All three guys have 200-foot qualities that would make the Flyers tough to play against. That was the vision at first. And then once they found out about Nolan Patrick's issues, it made signing Kevin Hayes that much more important. Right. Um, but I think the Hayes signing continues being important moving forward because he's going to be able to alleviate the pressure off of Patrick having to be a center on the second line yeah. of a very competitive team now. It's going to give him the time – to really not only adjust back to the game, but try and get that confidence going. Because you know when Patrick is in a rut, he's really struggling to get out of it. But as soon as he pulls, he made a joke last season, the beer league kind of plays that he would make right up by the crease. That's the Nolan Patrick that we want. Because that confidence completely changes the energy on the ice for the Flyers. So you can only hope that you have him back next year. There might be, you know, Limblom is back. So to think that we have, the Flyers would have Limblom 
and Patrick back instantly changes the dynamic of the Flyers moving forward. And if anything, they're more threatening than they were this season without them. So it's, it's certainly exciting, and there's so much to look forward to. And I know we're going to cover all of it throughout the offseason. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up Oscar Limbo. I think those two players are kind of reasons why Chuck Fletcher is saying, hey, let's pump the brakes. We don't need to gut this thing or do anything drastic and make these loud trades and part ways with a core player because, man, if, you know, their depth, if they find, if, you know, they were a game away from the East final. If you get Oscar Lindblom back, a guy that was tied for your team leading goals before he was diagnosed with cancer, a guy that was projected to finish with 30 goals, and then you get Nolan Patrick back, hopefully, a second overall pick, center, guy that can make plays, play the both rings, uh, both ends of the rink. All of a sudden, your depth is bolstered again, and you're you're really not looking elsewhere and thinking, "Gosh, we need a sniper, or we need, you know, a thirty goal scorer. Where are we going to find it?" You know, you have your answers internally. It's going to take time to know if those two will be the answers. Let's hope Oscar Lindblom comes back. And, and looks like the player again. It's great that he's cancer-free right now. He came back and played, and now he has a full offseason, hopefully, to train and get back to where he was. Same with Nolan Patrick. Let's hope he's healthy and feeling good about himself again and enjoying playing hockey, and he can play hockey. If those guys do come back and resemble possibly the guys that you hope they would, um, the Flyers look really good. They look really good. They look deep, and they didn't have to do anything drastic to change uh, and take a next step. So I think that's the overall theme for the Flyers is that they're going to trust what they have within, give it time, not make rash decisions. And I think that's the smart approach. I don't think they have to hate their core um, or make these crazy decisions. I think there's a lot to like, Brooke, and I know you like what they have and a lot of people like what they have. And there's reason, there's merit to that, I think, Brooke. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, the thing that I've really been stressing since – play has resumed uh, at the end of July is that this isn't a, a one and done kind of team making the playoffs right now. They're only going to continue to grow as a whole. And yeah, the time's kind of ticking on some of the older core veteran players, but it really shouldn't take them more than a season or two right now to be firing at all cylinders at all times. Because if these younger guys, if we have Patrick, if we have Limblom, if Therabee really kicks it up, Nicholas Albe-Kubel has been absolutely fantastic. We didn't even really get to touch on him. We have Philip Myers, Travis Sanheim, Ken Neckney was coming off of a career season, Ivan Provorov. There are just so many incredibly talented young players that now have playoff experience like no other because of the bubble. And they are just going to come back whenever the 2021 season starts and be ready to go. It's go time for them. They, they were so close to the Eastern Conference Finals. They were just, they could have been five games away from the Stanley Cup Final. You know, when it's that close, you can taste it. You're going to keep craving it until you get it. So, so much to look forward to. And the optimism is exploding. <laughs> That's how I feel. Mic drop. Mic drop. There, I don't want to jinx it, but I really think 
I'm going to be as plain-minded as I can. They're going to do the thing within three seasons. No, I like that. I like that prediction. I like that optimism. And For my sanity, I, I hope they do. Yes. And I, I think my final thought, too, is the, the overall vision that Ron Hextall had in place um, from the beginning was to draft, develop, and kind of have these young kids kind of meet the core and kind of come together at a peak. And maybe that's still happening. Maybe that was a big step this year. Chuck Fletcher did a hell of a job going out and supplementing that. Um, I think they relied a little too much on their internal options and their kids, and it put a lot of pressure on a guy like Nolan Patrick, who was deemed the second-line center in his second season. Chuck Fletcher went out, got some veterans, got some guys, smart moves, didn't blow anything up, and supplemented it. And I think it, it could still be coming together. Those young players could still be meeting the core. And the core, you know, Claude Drew had a very productive year. Jacob Borchek, very productive year. Sean Couturier, Selkie winner. Uh, James Van Riemsdyk had 40 points, 19 goals, and, uh, and, and, and didn't always have the best role. Um, there's a lot to like. There's a lot to like, and it could still, could still be meeting, I think, kind of in a confluence. Um, and, we'll, and we'll see if that happens, Brooke. But I'm with you. A lot to like. And I think Flyers fans deep down will be a little – they're going to need to use a little more patience. They're going to need to use a little more patience with this. Well, we've had 45 years of patience, so one or two more years won't kill us, right? Exactly. Exactly. Oh. It's a perfect way to look at it. <laughs> But, Brooke, love talking to you. Thank you so much, as always. And we are so excited to talk to you more. And we'll have plenty – I think we're going to have plenty of fun stuff to talk about in the offseason uh, as the playoffs wrap up and as the draft picks up and then free agency. going to be a lot to talk about. But thank you, as always, for your time. Thank you, Jordan Hall. We have so much, so much to look forward to. And I can't wait to talk about it always with you. <laughs> Perfect. Love it, Brooke. Thank you as, again. Uh, special thank you as well to Ben Berry, our podcast producer. Thank Flyers you, Ben. This is your latest Flyers Talk podcast brought to you by the Philadelphia Tri-State Cadillac Dealers. Wherever you got your podcast fans, please rate and subscribe, and we cannot wait to talk to you next time.